The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I fix problems. I don't make them. I have a particular expertise in customer relationship management. Much of it born out of my experience in organizing, supporting, and leading sales teams for large technology-driven organizations. As the sales trainer, I've always preached win-win solutions. I don't think Congress should operate any differently. Representatives and senators seem to have forgotten their own roles. Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell and now Charles Schumer, Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi have all forgotten the maxim, the greater good for the greater many. And they've replaced it with, I win, you lose. It's a battle for their power, not our prosperity. Intrinsically, we should not need a filibuster to prevent one-party rule. That's not what the Founding Fathers had in mind. And by the way, just for the truth of the matter, the first time there was a filibuster was in 1790. So it is not, it is related to one party, to objections to one-party rule. In that case, the Federalists, not in not to the slavery issue, although John Calhoun was able to use it effectively in the period 1830 to let's say 1845. Let's go back to that. Intrinsically, we should not need a filibuster to prevent one party rule. And Joe Biden, who served in both the minority and the majority in the Senate, knows that. And that's why he's been so reluctant to endorse removing the filibuster rule in order to jam all the legislation that the House is producing through on a party line vote. More to the point, the founding fathers didn't want political parties at all. They saw the House of Representatives as the closest to the people, thus the two-year terms, and the Senate as a place where the passions of the moment could be debated and then carefully decided, not just for the barest of majorities, but for the greater good of the greater many. The Senate was created to find compromise, to ask my favorite question, what if? And Mitch McConnell, this is your moment to stand up and be counted as an American patriot rather than a partisan. Because you are a crafty enough politician to know that there are little pieces of these big omnibus proposals the House is generating that you can give up a little and get a lot like staving off discussions of ending the filibuster rule. 
In the process, you can carve a legacy for yourself as a statesman without surrendering any principles, the grand old party, if not the little bitty Trump party, hold dear. Now, I'm not saying that you might not have to be the one to pick up the phone and call your old friend Joe Biden and work the deal around the New York liberals who now think that they run the country. I understand how you feel about those arrogant Fifth Avenueers who really do believe that the yokels, that's you and me, who live, work, and pay taxes outside of New York and Washington don't matter. But there are still opportunities to find win-win. The listener to this podcast will quickly realize that as I sat down to outline it yesterday afternoon, in other words, Thursday, March 25th, it was largely going to be tongue-in-cheek, just having some fun with the what-ifs of win-win. But that changed on Thursday night when Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, signed a 95-page bill that turns voting rights back to before 1964 and empowers the state legislature of Georgia to reject the will of the people by refusing to certify any election outcome that they, a Republican majority, don't like. 77% of Georgia voters opposed this legislation, but it's law now. And Mitch McConnell, I'm sure you recognize that the Supreme Court, not even this conservative majority court, is going to allow this 19th century Jim Crow redux to rear its ugly head. No matter what Georgia or Nevada or Arizona Republican legislators think they can pull. You know what? It's going to start with Tim Scott. Tim Scott cannot allow you to ignore the obvious. So how about you take a little advice from Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia? Now, the senator, the senator is a man of God. He holds the pulpit. He preaches from the pulpit every Sunday of Martin Luther King. He was the pastor to John Lewis. And last week, he offered you an olive branch. Support H.R. 4, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. It's a very, very short bill. It's the kind of bill I like. It does one thing. No ifs, wins, or buts. It does one thing. It extends the 1964 Civil Rights Act across the United States equally. That's all it does. Doesn't give Anybody, any more power from Washington to do anything to anyone in a state. But it does prevent a redux of Jim Crow applied to any number of people. In fact, applied to a lot of working people who can't vote between nine and five. Be a hero. Yes, Mitch McConnell, be a hero. Go to the floor of the Senate and explain how you are saving the American people from H.R. 1. 
heavenly days. H.R. 1 is unpopular even with Democratic election officials in the 27 or 28 states where they hold sway. Voting rights are just a teeny tiny part of H.R. 1. And the whole thing is going to end up in everlasting litigation. All the while, voting rights will still be jeopardized. You know why? Because H.R. 1 is too expensive for the states to implement. And it has all kinds of things in it, like you got to have self-sealing mail envelopes for mail-in ballots. They Not only do they cost 30 cents more, but they have to be processed manually because the existing uh, voting machine um, <clears throat> machines can't handle that extra thick glue on the, on the envelopes, can't slit them. So that's just one example of dumb. And you know what? Technically, <laughs> it ignores things like cybersecurity. This is because no one in Congress really understands what cybersecurity entails, how you get it, et cetera. Because one of the things it's calling for is voting by cell phone. You know, just think about the possibilities. Just think about the possibilities for election craziness. I'm not going to use the words fraud. Just election nonsense. H.R. 1 turns ballot harvesting into a legitimate profession, not to mention usurping the constitutionally guaranteed power of the individual states to conduct their own um, elections and their own uh, districting policies. And it publicly funds, it puts your tax dollars into campaign coffers. And I believe taxpayers are already shouldering more than they can bear. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for you to go to the floor and turn what is a potential liability, a big time liability if they try to change the filibuster in order to get it through the Senate, you, you alone can turn this potential liability into a voting, a vote gaining opportunity to grow the Republican Party. Republican governors need infrastructure and they need build back better funding as much as Democratic governors. So Mitch McConnell, it's time for you and Joe Biden to have dinner and talk over the old times that you used to enjoy and the new opportunities to have an infrastructure bill that guarantees job growth and new support for Made in America. And you alone, because you and Joe are old friends, can help him to avoid mistakes. You can remind him of the dangers of picking winners and losers and of supporting legacy infrastructure programs like Amtrak. And I know how much he loves Amtrak. But it's an example of why you can help him to understand that big funding for batteries, for lithium batteries, is not a good use of the public's money 
because they're going to be obsolete before they become mainstream. You will see. You will see. Compromise, compromise will accomplish many things for you. First of all, it will make Donald Trump crazy. And we all know how you really feel about Donald Trump. It'll also help you to win back suburban voters, you know, who might then vote for GOP Senate candidates, voters like me. I'm not telling you anything here that you don't already know. Joe Biden, the man, is much more popular than many of the proposals that are now flooding out of the House or supported by some Democrats in the Senate. So capitalize on what you know and your political acumen. Don't squander it. And this Washington, D.C. as a state thing, you can just stand there and say no and look like an obstructionist. Or you can offer a real alternative. History and the United States Constitution. The founding fathers were very worried about one state becoming more powerful than the rest by virtue of being the seat of the federal government. They looked with equal suspicion on the two likely candidates, New York and Virginia. So they devised a scheme to create an autonomous federal district to be the seat of government and to be administered by the Congress. Thus, the creation of the District of Columbia from land that Virginia ceded for the specific purpose only of creating a federal district was done during Washington's presidency, and it was intended to be just a seat of government because they were, were, Virginia was worried that New York would get it, and New York was worried that Virginia was getting it, so Virginia acted. Well, today, Washington is a city of 750,000 residents. And now it wants to become what will be a de facto democratic state. Now, they give you the argument that Wyoming, North Dakota, Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota, you know, each have about 750,000 people in them. So, and they're big states. I mean, you know, so... You know, all right, let's concede the argument because we can't undo it. So it's it's a good argument here for, for our side, right? We can give them the argument that North and South Dakota could have been one state and that, yeah, the Republicans made it two states because it was advantageous to add four senators instead of two. South Dakota, however, you got to look at not just the history. You've got to look at today and make the comparison of those, not by, by, um, not by population size, but by gross domestic product contribution. South Dakota is a major agricultural production state. It's a big exporter of grains. It's home to huge military facilities, you know, um, and large swaths of that state are <laughs> strangely, not too strangely, thank you, Theodore Roosevelt, they're federally owned. North Dakota also has wide swaths of federally owned land. 
and it's a leading producer of manufactured food products that were grown right next door in slightly warmer South Dakota. Wyoming produces 40% of the United States coal production. You didn't know that, did you? But it is probably the single largest coal producer in the nation. And you know what else? It's becoming a really important producer of wind energy as well. And that wind energy is being privately funded. Thousand wind turbines funded by a private sector uh, technology billionaire. And you know, they can sell all they can produce into the Western grid. The government of Wyoming is also working now with both Boeing and GM, researching the use of carbon-based parts. In other words, using coal, you know, as, as you know, coal is, is made, is iron, that steel is made from iron and, and coal. But can we in fact use carbon as the base for, for lighter weight parts for environmentally more friendly autos and planes, airplanes, that is, not just the South Dakota, North Dakota planes. So you see, they're major, those three states, they've got the same population as Washington, D.C. They all have tourist attractions. That's the thing they share with Washington, D.C. But when you look at the economy, those three states are major sources of contribution to the gross domestic product. Can't say the same about Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. just knows how to overspend the gross domestic product. So what does Washington really do? Yeah, it has tourism lots of tourism in the federal district. Plus, of course, it feeds and houses and cares for members of Congress, the bureaucracies that support them, the bureaucracies that support other government agencies that Congress continues to create, and lobbyists. All of that care and feeding is nothing more than a blip on the national gross domestic product. So the comparison of population is an invalid way to decide whether something should be a state or not. You know, I'm sure both you and I, Mitch, are sympathetic to the residents' desire for representation as well as taxation. And there's a rational solution a historically sound solution that can prevent Washington DC from becoming the super state our founders feared while assuring residents equal representation. Carve out the actual federal district. That's even in the legislation that proposes to make Washington DC the city, a city state. But the difference is what you can propose as a counterweight to the city state 
is to return the rest of Washington, the, the non-federal district, the commercial city of Washington, D.C., to Virginia. Because Virginia didn't propose splitting itself into three states, West Virginia, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. It proposed ceding some of its territory for a federal district to prevent the creation of the super state. Now, my idea, Mitch, which I think you should consider offering as a potential compromise, would do a couple of things. It would maintain the balance of power among the 50 states. And it would add a couple of new congressional seats in Virginia. And it would then give Washington, D.C., direct representation, voting representation without creating a 51st state, without upsetting the balance in the Senate. Everybody wins. Nobody loses in this solution, except maybe Charles, Charles Schumer, and that wouldn't hurt your feelings. So there's a win-win. I completely understand that the reality of making any of these proposals into law is way, 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 way harder than just creating a podcast. But then on the other hand, none of these steps are impossible or even improbable. So Mitch McConnell, I urge you, just back up from that lectern of anger and threats and ask your best self, what if? What if I was now again the friend I once was to Joe Biden? How much the center of American politics might come to appreciate, if not really like me, and how much that might influence the outcome of the 2022 midterms and the 2024 presidential election, which will be my last in office. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.